Bibles, turn to the book of Daniel. We'll get back in Daniel tonight. The book of Daniel, chapter number 6. Another one of those stories that we learned way back in Sunday school when we were little kids, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. I was telling my dad today I was preparing for it. And I, I, it's really hard sometimes to prepare for texts like this because they're so familiar. And, and you know God has something much deeper going on. And so you just don't want to tell the familiar story. I mean, you all all know the story. You want to, you want to dig into it and see what God has uh, in this text. And, and uh, I think he has some exciting things for us in chapter number six. Uh, but anyway, well, let's pick up where we left off last time. If you remember, uh, Belshazzar had seen the writing on the wall. And he was told that his, his king days had been numbered. Uh, his kingdom had been divided and he was finished. And that very night, uh, the uh, Medes and the Persians attacked uh, Babylon. They, they built a dam that diverted the water of the Euphrates River away from the city so that they could march right through the bed of the river. And they entered the city and they killed Belshazzar and, his, and most of his uh, cronies. And, and at that point, Darius the Mede, if you look at verse number 31, one was made of chapter five. Darius the Mede received the kingdom when he was 62 years old. Well, Darius does something really smart. At this point, at this point, uh, and let's go back to that vision of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the vision? What was the, what was the, who was the head? The head was the head of gold. And who was that? That was Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. It didn't last very long, did it? These one world kingdoms don't last very long. Uh, it was, it, it lasted, you know, a little over, if a hundred years, around a hundred years, and and now uh, the second kingdom is in place, and that's the chest of arms and silver, and that's the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and so Darius is placed in charge of the province of Babylon. He's the king of that area, and uh, he does something really smart. If you look at the first couple of verses, there it says it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom and over those over these three governors of whom Daniel was one was one that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. I mean, they taxed the, the people, they ruled the people and uh, it was kind of like a vassal state. So they kept a lot of the government, the local government in place. And that was a smart thing to do because uh, he had people that spoke the native language, that, that knew how the government functioned in Babylon. They knew the people. And so uh, by leaving them in place and, and picking and choosing the 120 best of those satraps, uh, he set up a pretty decent government. And out of those satraps, he noticed he, he wanted to choose like three particularly strong rulers to help him rule the land. And one of those people that he chooses is Daniel. Now, at this point, Daniel is, is in his 80s. He's, a, he's, an, he's an elderly man, uh, but he's a seasoned politician. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And so this is a real smart choice. Uh, he's got a proven track record. He, he's, uh, he's always shown that he's a man of integrity. And uh, uh, so and Darius right away sets his eyes on Daniel and puts Daniel right up there at the top. Now, uh, there's something else going on, though. There's something else that Darius sees in Daniel 
that makes him choose Daniel to be one of his top advisors. Look at verse number three. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. We know who that spirit is, don't we? It's the spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. An excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting Daniel uh, over the whole realm, putting him in charge of the whole thing so he could go uh, do his thing throughout the rest of the kingdom. He could pretty much put Daniel in charge of all of Babylon. And uh, the reason he does that is because Daniel has this excellent spirit in him. You know what? When you really have the spirit of God in you, People know it. They know there's something special about you. You don't have to prophesy in order for people to know you have the Spirit of God. You don't have to speak in tongues in order for people to know you have the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you're different. You're different from everybody else. You know what? It doesn't take me long in a conversation or in a dealings with somebody to find out real quickly whether or not that excellent spirit is in them or not. I mean, you can almost spot a Christian. There's sometimes, there's some Christians that almost glow with the Holy Spirit. But, but just their character, the, their, their kindness, the, the love in them, it, it's different from the way of the world. And if you've got to have some kind of uh, manifestation of a, a supernatural sign in order for people to know the Spirit of God in you, I wonder if the Spirit of God really is in you. Because the Spirit is love. And so if you have the Spirit of God in you, you're going to love people. If you, the Spirit is true. If you have spirit, the Spirit of God in you, you're going to live by the truth. The Spirit of God is righteousness. You're going to live righteously. You don't do all those things to be saved. But if you have the Spirit of God in you, you're different. You're different from everybody else. And Daniel was different. And so, so Darius says, man, I think I'm going to turn the whole thing over to Daniel. I'm going to turn everything over to Daniel. Now, if you were one of those other satraps at this point, one of those other rulers, how are you feeling about that? Now, you don't have an excellent spirit in you. You have the spirit of the world in you. And so how are you feeling about that? You're feeling jealous. You're feeling jealous and you're feeling angry and you're feeling bitter. Uh, and and uh, that's the way all of those guys felt. They didn't want Daniel to have that kind of power. And so they make plans to bring him down. Look at verse number four. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Faithful to who? To the Lord. And if he was faithful to the Lord, then he was living a righteous life. He was a, he was a man of integrity. He didn't lie. He didn't twist the scales. I mean, uh, nor was any error or fault found in him because he had that excellent spirit in him. Verse number five, then these men said, we will not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. 
Now, let me tell you how the devil works. You probably already know this. But when he attacks a Christian, his first front or his first line of attack is to come at your character, to test your character. And I'm ashamed to say that when he attacks Christians, when he tempts Christians and gets them to, to compromise their character, to make moral compromises, he often succeeds. And that's his favorite line of attack because that does two things. That brings that Christian down and it destroys his witness. Okay? And there are very few Christians that can stand up to attack from the devil. You know, I, I'm, I, I, want, I would like to think I could, but my prayer every day is, Lord, lead me not in temptation. Deliver me from evil. I don't want to fail you. Don't, don't allow something in my life that I can't handle that I would compromise on. I mean, keep me from the evil one. And, you know, I, I pray that very seriously and very humbly because I, 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 know I, I know I can fail. But Daniel, man, he was a tough dude. And he couldn't fail. He wouldn't fail. That really is the way it should be worded. He wouldn't. He was faithful to the Lord in all things, and they couldn't get at him anyway. And so look what they say. They say, and this almost sounds like the devil speaking right here. He says, we will, shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of God. So you see the devil's second line of attack? If he can't get you to compromise morally, and again, as I say, I think he can get most Christians to compromise morally. That's, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that. But if he can't get you to compromise morally, boy, then, then you're going to rise. You're going to rise up and you're going to be, a, you're gonna be a, one of his favorite targets. And what he's going to do, he's going to come at you concerning the law. He's going to use that character, that Christian character, that faithfulness that you have against you. That's, that's the way he works. He will find something in your life that you're going to take a stand on that's going to clash with society and he's got at some point he's going to bring that to a head he's going to it's going to happen and and uh, so that's their their plan well you know there's there's nothing new under the sun there's nothing new under the sun isn't that exactly what the devil did with nebuchadnezzar i mean he had nebuchadnezzar he, 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 I mean, I, people are, are probably his most effective and common trap on the outside world. I'm not talking about the church now, is pride. He can get us to do a lot of things based upon our pride. I mean, he can get us to, to do rash, stupid things because of our pride. I mean, I'll tell you right now, you go, you, you, you're lusting after some motorcycle or something, and, and you say, man, I want one of those Indian motorcycles so bad. And, man, I would look so good on that. And people would compliment me. I'm not looking over there, by the way. I don't have the money to buy it, but, but I'm not talking about you. <laughs> 
My kids are starving. <laughs> the pastor needs all the money he can get. But I'm going to buy that bike anyway because I'm going to look so good on it. And you make this rash decision without counseling with anybody, I mean, without calling the pastor. <laughs> and you end up with this Indian motorcycle. Or a Harley or whatever, and I'm, that's just one example, and I'm just joking, but, but, but aren't, isn't it amazing how he can take our pride and put us in a situation where, where if it comes down to our pride, man, we, we, all of a sudden we don't think. We don't think things through. I mean, we just think, oh, wow, we, we, we need to do this. This is going to make me feel good. And that's what he did, back to what I was saying, he did with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he, Nebuchadnezzar was told he was the golden head on the statue, and what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He, 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 he said, man, that's good, let's, let's, let's celebrate. I'm going to build a big statue, and I'm going to be the, the whole thing's going to be me, and the whole thing's going to be gold. And then he demanded that people worship that statue, and he put out a decree, and, and without thinking through what he was doing, he did it based upon his pride. And who were the victims of that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they weren't going to worship that statue. They could have died. They would have died. He would have let them die. He would have killed them if the Lord hadn't intervened. I mean, the devil knows the issues. He knows how secular pride is. And he knows the issues on which Christians will not budge. And he will bring those issues. If, you if you're willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ in this world, I promise you at some point you're going to have to take that stand. If you really say, I'm going to take a stand here, I'm not compromising on this issue. At some point you're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to take that stand. It's the way it's always been. He knows where you're going to take the stand. And if, and if you're active for Christ, he knows how he can bring you down. By taking that stand. I mean, the reformers, what was their stand? They stood on the authority of the Word of God. And he knew they would stand to death on the authority of the Word of God. And so all he did was just clash that with, with society, which said the Word is, doesn't have the authority. The king has the authority. The pope has the authority. And those that would stand, he knew that, that they would stand. And they were doing a great work, and so he... He made it known that he, he forced them into that corner where they had to take that stand. And they, many of them died for their faith. The racial issue, not many years back in this country as a Christian, if you took a stand for the racial issue, man, as a pastor, you lose your pastorate in certain churches. If you said, man, if it comes down to it and I've got to take a stand and I'm going to allow people into this church of different color or different races and certain, certain I mean we don't have that problem now but a few, just a few years back if you were to take that stand there was a guy in Jackson a great pastor he was named the man of the year JC I think that's man of the year one of these big organizations man of the year and, and uh, he, he they knew where he would take his stand. And they knew where the clash would come between him and his church. And so they brought some black people to church that Sunday. And the deacons met him at the door. 
and they turned them away. Shame on them, man. Shame on them. But Larry Roman, the guy I'm talking about, said, you're going to let them in or I'm out of here. They knew he would take that stand. The devil knew he would take that stand. And he took that stand and he lost his pastorate. The devil knew, the devil, the devil knew where to come at him. We're, we're facing that issue now with this homosexual marriage thing. And really, we're talking about the authority of Scripture on that issue. Are you willing to bend the authority of Scripture? I heard a guy last night interviewing uh, uh, the, one of the lawyers for the lady in Kentucky. And it's a CNN uh, reporter. And he said, are you going to, you're going to, you mean to tell me that an ancient text, a scripture written uh, thousands of years ago, takes precedent over a Supreme Court decision. And he said, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you. And that's exactly what, where I'm going to stand and exactly where you should stand. And it's really not about the homosexual thing. It's about the authority of scripture. And when we start, when we start, when we start backing away from those kind of stands, like I say, if you're going to stand on those things, at some point it's going to cost you. But if you start backing away from that, you got nothing. You don't have real faith. You got nothing. You got nothing. There's a church full of nothing out there. By the way, my condition has allowed me to speak more freely now. I'm really not afraid <laughs> of what I say anymore. <laughs> so you're going to get really some interesting comments. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it civil. But there, there is a big part of the church that has allowed that compromise. And they've lost their witness. They've lost everything. They've lost everything. Verse number six. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. How, what are they doing? Flattering the king. In other words, you're so great, we want you to be king forever. Beware of the flatterer, the Bible tells us. In Proverbs 29.5, we're told that a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And that's exactly what these guys were doing for Darius. They hated him. And they were setting a trap for him and Daniel. That's what they were doing. They did, they did, oh, king, whenever you hear that kind of stuff, beware. It's not always the case, but beware sometimes. Then in verse number seven, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, now they're speaking of what they've done, of this this decree that they want made. And you're going to see that they're lying right away because listen to what it says. All the governors of the kingdom, administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together. Well, we know they hadn't consulted with everybody, have they? They haven't consulted with Daniel or any of Daniel's friends. I mean, Daniel had a few friends on the, on the council, so they hadn't consulted with them. So they're lying. And, and, and this king should have caught that. But what's... What's the trap he's fallen into? What's the bait? His pride. It's a bait the devil throws at us all the time. We got to watch that. He says, he says, 
to establish a royal statute and to make firm a decree and whoever petitions any God or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And uh, Darius at this point says, no, they say it they, in verse 8, they say, now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Now, here's Darius. He's thinking, man, how nice are these guys? What a nice thought. They're going to make me God for a month. Nobody's going to be worshipped but me. I mean, these guys really are good guys. And then, so what does he do in verse number 9? Therefore, Darius signed the written decree. And the Mede and Persian law, the king was considered infallible. And if you're infallible, you don't make mistakes. So you never back off of a decree. If they signed a decree, you, you see that over in, in uh, the book of Esther, same situation, Persian situation. If they signed a decree, the king had to live by it, even if he knew it was a bad decree, because if he admitted he was, it was bad, he admitted he did something bad, and they wouldn't admit uh, to be infallible. They considered themselves infallible. But he should have thought about this, and there's no indication that he gave any thought to this whatsoever because his pride's working. He doesn't ask for counsel. I'm sure if he'd asked for counsel, he would have talked to Daniel, and Daniel said, man, you, you, you're going to make a mess if you do this. And once it was signed, it was law. Then verse number 10, and when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and he wept and he cried. And Lord, what did you do this to me for? No, Daniel didn't do that at all. Daniel went about his business as usual. And in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Watch the last part of that verse is what's important. As was his custom since his early days. What Daniel's telling us here in this narrative is that he went on doing right, went on doing exactly what he had always been doing. Now, if he had added some kind of religious ceremony or opening of the windows or something because he knew this decree was there and he wanted everybody to, to know that he was praying, that would have been hypocrisy. That would have been testing the Lord. That, 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 no, he, 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 wouldn't, he would have been playing the hypocrite. But if he had drawn back from his daily practices and if we had withdrawn and shut the windows and went back in his room somewhere and prayed in secret, then that would have been playing the chicken. And Daniel wasn't a chicken. He was a man of God. He was a prophet of God. And so what does he do? He opens his window and he prays facing, he opens the windows that face towards Jerusalem and he prays facing Jerusalem. Now why did he pray facing Jerusalem? Well, you know, Jews in the United States pray facing Jerusalem. Why did he pray facing Jerusalem? Uh, Daniel, more than anything else, was a man of prayer. And the most pressing prayer 
on his heart was the prayer for his nation. That was the most pressing thing that he prayed every day. Three times a day he would leave his offices and he lived in this city. It would be kind of like living in a river ranch where all your stores and their offices and all that are there. And then, and then you could go home. You know, at lunch you could just walk to your house. Well, he, he would walk to his home and he would pray. He, three times a day he would go home and he would pray and he would face Jerusalem, which tells me he was praying for his nation. That was his most pressing prayer. That's what made him a prophet of God. He didn't pray because he was a prophet. He was a prophet because he prayed. That's what makes any of us a prophet. Somebody mentioned tonight in the prayer request that we need to pray for our nation. Man, I've got to say something here until I get to say anything now. <laughs> There's something wrong with you if you're not praying for our nation. I mean, it's good to lift that up, and I'm not criticizing that at all. But if you don't have, if you can't see the terrible things that are going on in this nation right now, and you don't care, there's something wrong with your heart? I mean, we should, man, we shouldn't need anybody to tell us to pray for this nation. We should be praying for this nation constantly in our prayers. We should lift that up as a priority because we're part of this nation. And maybe we do need to remind ourselves sometime, but, but for the most part, that just needs to be part of our prayers. It was part of Daniel's prayers. He prayed that every day and he prayed toward Jerusalem. Now, there's a reason he prayed for, towards Jerusalem. If you remember when Solomon dedicated the temple back in 1 Kings chapter... Eight, if you want to flip there with me a minute, just go back a few books. He went through this series of admonitions where he told the people that, hey, when things are bad in your life, pray towards the temple, pray towards God, and God will make things better. When things are bad in the nation, pray toward the temple. And God will make things better. And then he goes through this series of admonitions. And the last one is something I don't think when he gave it, anybody expected it to ever happen. But it was what to do if the nation went into captivity. And if you look in chapter 8, at the end of that dedication, uh, or at the end of those, that, those admonitions, in verse number 46, he says, When they, Israel, sin against you, Lord, for there is no one who does not sin, it's coming. You know what? God knew when he made Israel they were going to go into captivity. He knew when he made the United States we were going to legalize homosexual marriage. We were going to throw prayer out of the classroom. We were going to do everything we could to get God out of the, out of our, out of the public life. He knew all those things were going to happen. But when they sin against you, and that's where we're at now, for there is no one who doesn't sin against you, and you become angry with them and deliver them into the enemy, to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent 
and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave them. Now see here, toward the land, toward Jerusalem, to the city, which you've chosen, that's Jerusalem, and the temple, which you have built for your name. Then here in heaven, from your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions, which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. Daniel knew that passage very well. And he believed that passage was truth. And so with all his heart, every day he prayed for his nation that God would have compassion on them. I actually don't believe there were many people from Israel praying in that day. They were going about their busy work as slaves or as captives and, and kind of getting used to where they were at. But Daniel didn't like where he was at, even though he was in charge of the whole thing. He knew that wasn't, wasn't the place the nation belonged. And so he prayed three times a day that God would fix that situation. And I believe it's Daniel's prayers. That's why Daniel gives the prophecies of these things working out. I believe it's Daniel's prayer that got him out of that captivity, maybe a few others. But Israel, when they finally came out under Cyrus, uh, which Cyrus is the next guy coming, uh, they, they, it was Daniel who prayed them out of there. He didn't give up, and he wasn't about to give up because these guys were trying to bring him down. If he had to risk his life, then he would risk his life. Then verse number 11, back to Daniel uh, chapter 6. Verse number 11 then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decrees. Have you not signed a decree that every man who practices any, who petitions any God or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, this thing is true according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Yes, I've signed it and it can't be changed. So they answered and said before the king, watch this. And I have no, I would love to see, have seen the look on Darius's face because he loved Daniel and he's shocked. And they answered and said before the king that Daniel, who is the one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes petitions three times a day you notice their disdain for Daniel there notice what they call him I mean, here's this guy who's worked his way all the way to the top and what do they, how do they still see him a captive from Judah I mean that was 70 years ago and they still see him and degrade him as a captive from Judah they weren't about to be kind towards Daniel and the king in verse 14 when he heard these words was greatly displeased. I, I like this part. With himself. Give the guy credit. He knew he had messed up. And he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. He, 
He got his lawyers and said, man, find a loophole in the law that I can get Daniel, that, that, that prevents me from having to put Daniel in the lion's den. And he worked on it all day long, but then he couldn't find a loophole and these men approached the king. They're arrogant now. They think they're controlling everything. And in some ways they are. You give, you give away a lot when you, when, you, when you give in to your pride and you allow your pride to get you in these kind of situations. You give away your freedom in some cases. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. You know, if it was me, I would have made a decree right then to kill them. They're going to they're gonna die. We're going to see that next week. But, but it would have been a day earlier if I'd been the king. I'd found some reason to get them. Again, notice that he's, he, who he's displeased with. He's displeased, he's displeased with himself. I mean, here were these flatterers. They, they, they hated Daniel, but they hated him too. And he knew that. He knew he'd been had. He knew that, that uh, there was nothing he could do about it. And he was distraught. And then he tells Daniel in the next verse, and that's really where we're going to pick up next time, but he, he's going to tell him in, in that verse, in verse number 16, that I've got to execute judgment on you, Daniel, but, but hopefully the God who you serve will deliver you. That's your only chance. It's your only way out of this mess. Hopefully, the God whom you serve will deliver you. Vance Hebner tells a story about a lady who was told by the doctors that there was nothing left that they could do for her health, that she was going to just have to trust the Lord. And she said, my, has it come to that? <laughs> you know, I think we do the same thing. We trust in all sorts of things, and then sometimes God throws us right into the lion's den. And that's what the lion's den is. It's a place where, hey, it's come to that. Either God whom you serve will deliver you or you're toast. But I've got news for you. The God whom you serve will deliver you. And we know the story. He's going to deliver Daniel and, and, uh, from the lion's den and and I don't know what lion's dens you face now or in the future. He's going to deliver you from that den too. You just trust him. Always does. He's faithful. I mean, he could have just whipped Daniel on out of that mess and taken him on up to heaven. That would have been a deliverance. Or he could shut the mouths of the lions. And Daniel could come back as a great witness for the Lord. And that's what he does. And that's what we'll see next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word, and it's so encouraging as we go through life and we face these struggles to, to just see how you work in your people, Lord. And uh, we, just, we just take encouragement from, 
the fact that we do serve you, we know you, and we know that you're going to deliver us out of every, every lion's den we ever face. Father, may we be touched tonight and, and, and prompted to, to pray for our nation like Daniel did. Lord, so that we're prophets of God too to this nation, so that we can speak words to this nation. Lord, help us to care. And Lord, if we care, then you're going to use us. We know you're going to do that. Lord, help us to be men and women of integrity, that, that nothing can be said against us. And Lord, at the only time that, that, that we're in trouble is when we're, we're clashing with a godless society because we're standing on your law. Lord, help us to be like Daniel. Lord, you made Daniel who he was, and you can make us just like him, and that's what we ask tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.